morning, Prodigal. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are in week two of Half Truths. It's not too late to sign up for baptism this summer, and if that's something that you're considering or would like more information on, go ahead and reach out to one of our staff or email us at prodigalchurchfresno at gmail.com. We would love to get you more information or answer any questions you may have. Big announcement happening for PC Kids on July 11th. It's gonna be our summer Sunday fun day. We're gonna have water slides, lots of fun games. Kids, don't forget to bring your towel and swimsuit and maybe a friend. Parents, if you have any questions, please send me an email. As always, thank you for your generosity to Prodigal Church. If you would like to give, you can do so on our app or our website at prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thank you so much for joining us for week two of Half Truths. Here's a quick clip. Sometimes half just doesn't cut it. Some religious beliefs are like that. You've heard the phrases, maybe even said them. They sound true, like God helps those who help themselves, or God never gives you more than you can handle, or everything happens for a reason. But when we look at them carefully, we see that they are only half true. Join us as we discover the whole truths behind the half truths. misheard a song lyric and when you sang it you sang those words with passion and then many years later you discover the real words to the song and you're like I like mine better or uh, other times how did I think that it even said that my words don't even make sense here is a few popular misheard song lyrics I've got I've got two chickens to paralyze. Of course, it's the wrong lyrics. It's I've got two tickets to paradise. Here's another one, Blank Space by Taylor Swift. Right, all the lonely Starbucks lovers. I am guilty of thinking it was that as well, but it's of course got a long list of ex-lovers. And then when I was growing up, uh, bon Jovi was kind of a big deal, and so I definitely misheard this song lyric. I think it does make a difference if we're naked or not. Okay, the correct ones, of course, is uh, it doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. And then finally, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, which is probably everyone mishears song lyrics on this uh, amazing classic. The algebra has a devil for a sidekick E. Okay, yeah, we've all heard things that sound right. But that doesn't mean that they are right. Uh, we are in a sermon series called Half-Truths, and we're looking at statements that, we, that sound true or that we've heard others say. They sound right. They sound like they're in the Bible, but they aren't. They're only half-true. And last week, we looked at the half-truth. God only helps those who helps themselves. Um, and I once heard this statement, and I think it's true. And the chances are pretty good that you, in your life, are either about to go through a very difficult season, you are in the middle of a difficult season, or you're just coming out of a difficult season, okay? I, I think that's true. I think that uh, 
that all of us have to deal with difficulties. So we're either about to enter one, we have just left one, or we are currently in one. And I don't know where you are in that, but I think it's true. That's you, that's me. Tell me if this has ever happened to you. You're going through something difficult. Uh, your boss is terrible. A relationship is going down. You're behind in your finances. And the weight just keeps getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And finally, you think that I just can't take any more. And then it never fails. When you get to that place, when you can't take any more, along comes a well-meaning Christian with annoying Christian advice. You're about to pull your hair out because you can't take any more. You're going to crumble under the weight of your circumstances. And someone comes along and says, don't worry. When God closes a door, he opens a window. What does that even mean? God's a contractor now? Or they say this, don't worry. God never gives us more than we can handle. How many of you have wanted to punch another person for saying something like this to you? God never gives us more than we can handle. That is our half-truth that we're going to be wrestling with today. We've heard this before. Perhaps you have said this to someone else. And undoubtedly, people mean well when they say these words. They mean to encourage and to strengthen others. They certainly don't mean to put obstacles in the path of someone's faith. And at times, words such as this may in fact be a blessing and an encouragement, bring comfort. Yet the idea that God won't give us more than we can handle is another one of those biblical half-truths that we often accept without giving it much thought. It's an idea that we really need to reflect upon carefully before we consider using it as an encouragement to someone going through a difficult circumstance. We need to consider whether this statement um, is all the way true or perhaps just a half-truth. Now, unlike last week's half-truth, which originated in Greek mythology, this half-truth has its origins in a verse in the Bible, perhaps a misquote of a verse in the Bible. In the verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We'll read it together. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, some have pointed out that the Greek word that Paul uses here for uh, tempted is uh, parasmos. And it, and it can mean tested. So they suggest that, that what, what Paul is saying, this is what he had in mind. That God won't allow you to be tested beyond a point that you can endure. In essence, God won't give you more than you can handle. I don't think that is what Paul is saying. Paul is writing here to a Christian community in a church he planted in Corinth. It was a large port city in Greece. In around AD 51, um, during one of his missionary journeys, Paul planted a church there. And ancient Corinth was a unique place. It was a difficult place. It was a rough place. Uh, ancient Corinth was a bit like Las Vegas today. It was known for its erotic temples and licentious behavior. What happened in Corinth stays in Corinth. There was actually a popular phrase about Corinth in that time period. It was uh, that you, you should live like a Corinthian, to live like a Corinthian. And that meant to be synonymous with drunkenness and sexual license. So these new Christians here in Corinth, living in the city, growing up in this city, um, they've been living there their whole lives. And the temptation that they experienced before they met Jesus 
uh, all of the sexual temptations that came with the city of Corinth, they didn't go away once they met Jesus. So as they walked the streets of their hometown, the temptations were still there. In Corinth, there was a shrine to the goddess of love, Aphrodite. And these Christians were to refrain from these temptations. So when the Apostle Paul writes, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, it is these temptations that he has in mind. He's not making blanket statements about trials and suffering. He's speaking about the Corinthian temptations. In fact, we're all tempted. Jesus himself experienced temptation. This passage is not about God declining to give you more burdens than you can handle. It's about God helping you in the midst of your temptations. The good news, according to Paul, is that God will not, will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. Instead, God will always supply a way out so that we can endure and overcome the temptation. My own experience is that when I'm tempted, there really is always a way out. The problem is, I'm not always looking for the exit ramp, right? In my experience, it isn't God who tempts us. We do a pretty good job of tempting ourselves. It's not God who does the tempting. We, we take care of that just fine on our own. The other day, Sarah and I dropped off the kids at my in-laws and we had a date night. We went to dinner and dinner was great. We both raved about it. It was just so good. Like I ate every bite and we were both feeling very stuffed. And on a normal date night, after dinner, we would go get ice cream or dessert of some kind. But because we were both so stuffed from our delicious meal, uh, there was no room for dessert. So we just kind of ran some errands in River Park. But when we finally got back to my in-laws house to pick up our kids, I was less stuffed, okay? And I found myself in the kitchen. And then, I don't know how I got there, but I found myself in the pantry. I I'm not sure how I arrived in this place. And then, from within the pantry, I hear, psst, down here. And I look down, and there's an open bottle of milk duds talking to me. They're like, John, there's only a few of us left in the box. Sarah doesn't need to know. And I'm like, guys, keep it down. She's in the room right there. I can hear her talking to the children. It, what I should have done was walk away, close the pantry, or at least offer my wife the tasty caramel chocolate delights called milk duds. I did no such thing, okay? I ate every one of those duds. The problem isn't that God fails to provide a way out of our temptation. The problem is uh, we usually don't pursue that way. In fact, we often hear the Spirit's voice leading us away from certain temptations. And as I reflect on my own temptations in life, it's almost humorous how God tries to put things, speed bumps on the road of temptation, and we just bounce right over them. Surely we lead ourselves into temptation. And as we look at the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, we discover it's not about whether God will give us more than we can handle. Neither is it about how God's going to lead us into greater temptation that we can handle. Instead, what Paul is saying is that when we are tempted, as inevitably we will be, God will make sure that the temptations are not so strong that we can't resist them, and God will give us a way out of the temptation. If only we are alert to it and will seize the opportunity. That's a helpful promise. The devil can't make you do anything. Resistance is not futile. You can overcome temptations. Now, 
Here's where this half-truth misses the mark. This, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Let's start with the first four words. God won't give you. When we say those words, we are implying that whatever difficulties, whatever sufferings, whatever problems you are experiencing, God is the one who's giving them to you. Pastor Adam Hamilton asked his church their experience when they heard this phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. And a woman responded with this note. In response to your question about God not giving us more than we can handle, if someone tells me this one more time, I may lose it. First of all, God didn't cause my husband to beat me. He didn't make my brother commit suicide. He didn't plant the IED that my nephew hit, which will result in him losing a leg. And he didn't give my best friend cancer. I could go on, but you get the idea. She's right. When people had tried to encourage her with this phrase, she heard them saying that, that God had given her all these things, but he would likely stop now because he knew she couldn't handle any more. We, when we say, uncle, God finally stops all the issues and problems that he's been sending towards us. No. What kind of God tests his children by having their spouse beat them, their siblings take their lives, and their friends suffer from cancer? No, no, no. That is not the God revealed to in the scriptures. That is not the God revealed to us in Jesus. So the first problem with the idea that God won't give us more than we can handle, in, in my view, is that God doesn't give us bad things to handle. That's not God. Otherwise, it would be like saying, God gave you this horrible, painful, hurtful thing, but he'll stop giving you more suffering before you reach the breaking point, so don't worry. No, that's not God. No, the pain, the suffering that you are experiencing, I don't believe it's from God. Now, more on that in a few weeks when we tackle the question, everything happens for a reason. But God never gives you more than you can handle. How do we explain certain people in the Bible? How do we explain John the Baptist? John the Baptist, unbelievable New Testament saint. Listen to what Jesus says about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's high praise. You know what happens to John the Baptist three chapters later in Matthew chapter 14? He's beheaded by King Herod. He's executed. I'm pretty sure he was given more than he can handle. We will face adversity in our lives. We will experience suffering and hardships. We or someone we love may face a terminal illness. We may struggle with debilitating depression or suicidal thoughts or grief so heavy that we feel we're suffocating. We may walk through financial crisis where it seems there's no way out. But if we are like most human beings, at some point we will face things that we cannot handle. It's more than we can handle. And the Apostle Paul writes about his own experience of being given more than he can handle. 2 Corinthians 1, check this out. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. If we can move beyond the half-truth, and scrub it from our vocabulary. This half-truth of God never gives us more than we can handle. Let me suggest a better way, a more truer, more accurate, more scriptural, one that many Christians throughout the centuries have already discovered. Something that is more true, it's not that God won't give you more than you can handle, 
but that God will help you handle all that you've been given. That's the truth that we find in the scriptures. This is the whole truth behind the half-truth. It's not that God won't give you more than you can handle, but that God will help you handle all that you have been given. This revised statement, it doesn't sound terribly different from the original, but the theological difference is striking. God will help you handle all that you've been given. doesn't suggest that all of your sufferings and all the bad things and all your difficulties and all your failures have been given to you by God or that he will load you with burdens, but just short of the breaking point. No. Instead, this statement acknowledges that adversity happens in life. Suffering will happen. But it promises that when you go through trials, when you go through tribulations, when you go through suffering, God walks with you through it all. God may not deliver you from these circumstances, but God will deliver you through your circumstances. We sang about this earlier, right? Even when I'm in the valley, right? That famous psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God is with us in the middle of these valleys. He's with us. The presence of a storm in your life does not mean the absence of God. The presence of a storm in your life means that in a new way, you will learn to fall onto God and he will carry you through it. Dallas Willard said this, that God's address is at the end of your rope. I think that's so true. Have you experienced that? Are you experiencing that now? God's address, where God is located, where God is in your life right now, in my life right now, he is at the end of our rope. Some of us, we're in this boat and we're rowing with all of our might. And the storm and the waves feel like it's too much, but we keep going. We keep going pedal to the metal. We're like that little engine that could, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And you've been rowing for a while, but one day you just can't row anymore. What I've learned and what I think God wants to say to you, if you are in that season where you're tired and you're broken and you feel like you can't row anymore, Drop the oars and lift up the sail and let the wind of the Spirit take you further, further than you could go on your own. We give up. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. I trust that when bad things happen during the course of my life, God will sustain me, God will walk with me, God will hold me near, God will comfort me, God will care for me, and he does that for you. Earlier, I shared with you a note from a pastor that he had received from a woman in his congregation. Uh, who, the woman whose husband had abused her, whose brother had committed suicide, whose nephew lost a leg, whose best friend had cancer. And then she wrote that she would lose it if one more person said to her, God won't give you more than you can handle. I did not read you all of the note. In her note, she went on to express her faith in the midst of these challenging circumstances. She wrote, I absolutely reject the idea that all of these horrible things were God's will. What I do know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that he is helping me cope. It's not easy, but I know that I am never alone, even if it feels that way sometimes. I know I can turn to God and cry and kick and scream, and he will comfort me. 
I can thank him for connecting me with the attorney who helped me out of an abusive marriage. I can thank him for giving me the strength to talk about my brother's suicide in the hopes that it might be helpful to someone else. I can thank him for allowing my nephew to live instead of die. God is turning the challenge and using them for good. It's not that God won't give you more than you can handle. It's that God will help you handle all that you have been given. This was the same conclusion reached by a woman named Annie Johnson Flint more than 100 years ago. Annie was born on Christmas Eve, 1866, in a small town in New Jersey. At the age of three, she lost her mother. Soon after that, her father became ill, that he was no longer to take care of his children, and he was forced to give her up for adoption. Annie was fortunate to be taken in by a wonderful family named the Flint family. Before she finished high school, both of her adoptive parents passed away as well. Can you imagine that? The pain of losing two sets of parents before you finish high school. Annie longed to be a teacher, so she continued her education and achieved her goal. But not long after she began teaching, she was diagnosed with a de degenerative disease that left her unable to walk or to live independently. She spent the rest of her life, roughly another 40 years, bound to a wheelchair and living in a sanitarium where others could provide for her physical needs. Annie's condition meant the end of her teaching career. Instead, she began writing poetry, an interest that she had developed living in the Flynn's house when she was little. Over the years, she wrote a number of popular religious poems. And as time went by, her illness caused the joints in her hands to swell so painfully that it was difficult for her to write. So she began dictating her poems for someone else to write down. She noted that she wrote not to fulfill her own need to express ideas, but in the hope of helping others who were undergoing the kinds of challenges of which she was so very familiar all her life. Annie is perhaps best remembered for a poem that I happen to read at every graveside funeral I have ever presided over. The poem Annie wrote is called, What God Hath Promised. And he, I'll read it for you now. God hath not promised skies always blue, flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way. Grace for the trials, Help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. In my own life, I have seen God use Annie's words that were written over a hundred years ago, dictated to someone else because she was unable to write herself. I've seen those very words written in the late 1800s. Help and comfort and heal and encourage grieving families today. Does God ever give us more than we can handle? No, it's not God giving you the problems. No, there will be times in life where we cannot handle it. And it is in those seasons, it is in those valleys where we can experience the presence and comfort of God 
in, in the truest and deepest way. It is the fact that I feel closest to God in the midst of my suffering. When everything is going well, I sometimes feel I have no need for God. I know he's there, but I am not desperate for him. It is in times of pain where I fall to my knees and say, God, help me. And I am so utterly aware that I need him. We all do. God, we pray in Jesus' name that if those who are suffering now and who are failing under the weight of a pain too great to bear, that you would hold them close in this season. God, that instead of us trying to say, God will never give you more than you can handle, may we be comfort to them, a shoulder to cry on, and a blessing to them in whatever way we can. Help us as a community of faith, as a church, to do this as well. In Jesus' name, amen.